Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. So today is a very impromptu podcast. I'm sitting up at the cottage with my wonderful mom, and we're sharing a glass of champagne and I thought you know it would be really great to do a little bit of a historical ride down memory lane to learn about my family's coming to Canada and I thought it would be really great for my daughter when she gets a little bit older to have a record of you know how our family came to be in Canada so I'd like to welcome my mom Grace to the show thank you so I Okay, so you're, you you know, you were born in the 60s in Poland. What I would like to know is, um, from a historical perspective at that time in Poland, what was, what was the political atmosphere at that time? Was, were, were we independent? Were we under the Germans? Because obviously this is after World War II. Are we under Russia? Where, Where are we? Where's Poland in the 1960s? Well, 1960s, Poland was actually at that point um, given, you can check the historical facts, uh, sort of under control of Russia. And um, so the communism system was implemented and um, it was um, already, when I was born, it was already after Stalin died. So I only know the horrific stories of time when he was in power from my parents, Um, but things became somewhat a little bit relaxed at the time in a sense that uh, you were not being taken off the street all the time uh, people didn't have to watch behind their back. We did have to watch, as I've learned when I became a teenager. As a, as a child, you know, we obviously lived uh, in, in, we were all supposed to be equal. So the, the social structure was basically, what well, there's always social structure. So the social structure was, you were either from the city or from the village and you know, so one is better than the other. And so the story goes, right? Um, so our family comes from the village. Yeah. Um, so we are what, about an hour? No, no. 45 I, minutes from Krakow? Uh, well, about an hour from Krakow. Okay. Yeah. Are we north, south, east, west? I'm very, geography was never my subject. So I have like no clue. Well, uh, it comes from the from the southern part of Poland, uh, close to the mountains, not the mountain area, but just just before the mountains area, uh, about a um, couple hours from the borders with countries on the south, which in those days was Czechoslovakia. Now it's divided into Czech and Slovakia. 
and sort of in the middle between East and West, between Germany and Russia. So um, obviously uh, growing up um, in poverty as a child um, was not a big deal because all my friends, we were all running in our underwears and no shoes and that's what everybody did and, and you don't don't really uh, know any better. However, um, <laughs> there was a system of catalog ordering where you could see things that were a little bit more than what you would see around you and you know my mother used to get it and uh, my biggest dream as a child was to have a teddy bear and that, that dream never crystallized so um so that that was the childhood but outside that so that was this that was kind of obviously the 60s that's the 60s do you like did you notice a shift between like the 60s going into the 70s going to the 80s in terms of like the cultural and political atmosphere like what was school in school like what was that structure like you know were you being forced to to learn you know learn things you didn't want to learn i mean not that that's really any different than you know our school system right you still have to learn certain subjects whether you want to learn them or not but you know what were was there a change were you seeing changes well i i went to the elementary school for four years in a village and because we lived very close to a railway station my mother signed me to go to the city to school. So starting grade five, I went to the city. Um, so the first four years, you know, you sort of feel like this is all okay. We all, um, you know, just learning basics. And, you know, uh, my father was an amazing uh, teacher. So I went to school prepared with some reading skills and math skills. So it was pretty easy at that time and we have to pause because this is cottage life okay so you were saying that you felt you, you know you had some pretty good um skills in terms of math and reading leaving elementary and then all of a sudden your parents are like okay you're gonna go to the to the city by railway by yourself or by myself to go to like what middle no, it, it, it is still elementary school, okay. so it's from grade 5 to grade 8. Um, so obviously, you know, uh, the, the, the challenging part is I had to do it by myself. My parents worked shift work. A um, couple times my dad saw me in a train, on the wrong train, and pulled me out. And <laughs> yeah, then I would have been really lost. Uh, yeah, interesting how that just kind of um, never happened uh, to me. Um, but uh, it was a challenge because you, you know, you always have to do it, do it by yourself. And it was only a year later that my sister also went. So then it changed because then you have company. But at the beginning, it was really challenging. And and also grade five, that's where kind of um, different subjects are introduced to uh, the curriculum, like history, geography. And I was uh, usually studying reading things out loud so I can hear them. I learn better by hearing than 
just writing yeah or reading um and and that's where my real education started with my father um participating in it in a sense that he was correcting some of the things that we were being taught taught, right so about the geography or especially the history um so you slowly at that point you you slowly go like there is that conflict like oh okay well you're telling me this but my dad my dad is telling me this and uh what do you believe and uh, obviously you will believe your father before you believe anybody else and i think that's where the awareness also started of hmm where am i living what is this country and um understanding you know that there were spies implanted in a village or the fact that one one time my dad heard me on a train talking with my friends and we were just complaining about policemen or somebody like that and the minute I got home that told me it's like you can't talk like that in public and you know being your teenager you go like well why not why not like you know I I wasn't lying I wasn't making up stories and and so you uh, slowly learn of the limitation that are imposed on you in a, in that system and you also learn of the inequality that is happening you learn that there are stores for special people that you cannot go and you are learn about the fact that at any point police comes and they just take whoever they want they beat the you know gazebo out of them or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, Trying to use appropriate language. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, so um, it, it builds this kind of resentment, huge resentment. And then, of course, you know, I, I, I uh, was always better with math and numbers than with uh, writing or, you know, those kind of skills. So, listening to the news, um, just um, some things just, just, there was no way that they made any sense. Right. You know, like facts that the national gross product was exceeded by 300%. And my reaction was, oh, that's not that's great. My reaction was like, what kind of a stupid person did this predictions that they were wrong by 300%. So... It depends where you were with your awareness that you realize that things aren't exactly as they seem. Things are not exactly as they seem. Which which seems like a a thing that makes sense in a when you're under sort of communist. Yes. You know, right? Like they want there to be confusion, and you know they want you to believe their. Yeah, things uh, versus you know what's yeah. actually happening on the ground and like yeah you're not really allowed to you know it wasn't quote unquote safe to sort of ask questions or think outside of the box and well you know as you as you live a little bit longer then you learn that there is also underground um even you learn the things that a, a, a simple typewriter ha- had to be registered so if you wanted to type some propaganda as they would say they would know who owns that 
interesting cop typewriter so there there was obviously like you know nobody had guns uh huge control um um over that and nobody had access to photocopiers and things like this people found ways of doing things underground uh but obviously this was more prominent in in, in the cities where there were bigger crowds it was easier to hide yeah like i said in a village we knew who the spies were where they lived uh, so you couldn't avoid them uh, and they knew what was happening in your life uh, but you were kind of careful uh, for them not to notice you and um, so did you notice a bit like so when you went to the city as a child going to school is that when you started seeing the inequality and the like the divide like I'm, I'm curious as to like how you know you were free to move around right to to go to different places within the railway and like within Poland like what was shopping like you know like I'm, I'm curious as to like how people moved around and you know did what they needed to do at that time well, uh, of course, you know, when you're a child, you know the person of interest. Yeah. You, you obviously have more freedom and you don't, um, don't understand. You wouldn't even notice things are happening around you. So for me, it was basically going to school. And then um, we had like a big waiting area because school would end and we would have to wait for the next train, sometimes an hour, sometimes two. So us kids would just gather and, and play checks or, or whatever, or, or whatever games, board games, uh, just to keep ourselves occupied. But um, um, when did you begin to start recognizing the sort of imposition like the governmental imp imposition like when when did things start to kind of become like oh thing because you know as a child you know you're not picking up on these things life no. is just what it is and we don't have really a lot of um that you know uh, thinking mm -hmm. skill kind of developed at that time so when did it become more apparent to you like things are not right here yeah, well um uh, it, it probably happened uh, in high well even getting to high school, uh, uh, talking about the social division, well, it was division between the city, people from the city versus people from the village. So even though I had per perfect marks in the village, by the time I came to the city school, well, I wasn't going to get perfect marks because how could I be at the same level as the kids in the city? So it really took me four years to... Um, achieve the same marks, the highest marks that I was achieving prior. And, and so I recognize that kind of like going, um, you know, I, I am doing like all the other kids and yet I'm not being marked like that. So that was the first kind of, and of course there is, you know, the kids, as you know, there's always bullies and there is always putting you down and, you know, so you smell like a cow and, um, so you kind of just learning these inequalities because when when you child you don't see it that much when you're in a safe environment but when you go outside of that safe environment uh, the struggles just start to happen and then you know even getting to high school 
uh, nothing was done based on your ability everything was being done based on who you know who you can pay and uh, I have no idea how much it cost I know my mother somehow arranged for me to go to high school and it was one of the uh, you know one of the kind of respected respected high schools so it's not a high school it's really kind of like a, um, hmm well, eight years of, uh, it, it gets you basically, it's like an intermediate school that gets you prepared for university. Or you can choose that, or you can go to a trade school. So I went to this intermediate school, and uh, after a couple of years, um, uh, and also having few friends that were a year or two older, because we were all gathering on a train, um, that's when you learn certain kids were given privilege of Pre, uh, like without exam admissions to university and that's when I learned how that really happens and this is it, it totally depended on, on the membership to the Communist Party or um, your ability your parents ability to buy somebody a car to get you in there like it was just so insanely stupid to me that um, I told my parents that I'm not going to university. That's it. I want to go to work and that's it. I didn't even explain this to them. This was my internal kind of decision. And so obviously then you go to work and then you learn even more. So I was working for two years before I left Poland and one year of that, maybe not even a year, maybe less than a year of that was when Solidarity started organizing. So, um, what's that mean? What What is that? What's the Solidarity? Is that like... So, so that was the, the, the labor movement, as they call it, labor movement, but really it was a freedom movement. Uh, and, and so you're saying this is like the, the this is Polish people c coming together to basically f say that we've had enough, right? Because uh, as part of my job, I was involved in in accounting, so um, you know, also job promotion was very dependent on um, on your um, you signing up for the Communist Party. I was told that straight to my face that I can get a raise if I do that. Uh, and um, you know having that kind of internal already struggles there of this is all not making any sense um, I refused um, uh, so I then so I, did that, does that like does that automatically put like a mark around your name like yeah, yeah. this person is refusing to participate yeah, in yeah and basically that's where you're gonna stay and and well of course you know as women also sometimes as in every society women uh, are also approached with uh, another option which uh, was right. which was obviously not going to happen so um, um, so I changed jobs, and uh, while I was at that job, which was accounting job, which was much more what I liked, previous job was in human resources, um, so it was cost accounting basically, and so then I became in charge, they imposed, uh, because the, this, is, this is really times where 1780, 1980, 
where they impose the um, uh, cards, uh, what do you call that? Um, food stamps. Food really. stamps, okay. Food stamps, but like for basics, for sugar. So a person was assigned a kilo of sugar for a month. But if you had kids and then you were assigned uh, one chocolate a month, but if you had kids, maybe you get two chocolates. And of course, for meat. Uh, so sugar, meat, chocolate. Those bread? Are, no, bread, no. For bread, we basically lined up for hours because you never knew. So we, we sort of knew what time the bread would come and you line up. And if you get it, you get it. But people were respectful enough that they never bought 10 loaves. They bought what they They didn't made. hoard it. They, yeah. No, there was no hoarding, you know, there was that underlying uh, respect of this is what we need, so we'll just get what we need today. I think it's raining now. That's okay. If, if it starts to like rain <laughs> in at us, we'll, 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 we'll get things, uh, we'll get things moving. Oh, I just need to bring you things. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll pause. All right. Sorry about that. That's cottage life. Starts to rain. You gotta bring. You gotta br rain things in. Okay. So we were talking about uh, food. The introduction of food stamps. So when you went to the grocery store, like, okay. So you go to the store. Like, what did that? What did that look like? Were you lining? You were lining up outside, and like when you went inside, it was like you could buy whatever you want or the food stamps you were using the food stamps because you were limited on certain items but could buy whatever you wanted if you had the money no 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 so so again this was a system where uh, you would um get a kilo of meat a, a month and uh you went to line up and sometimes the meat was finished so it didn't matter that you had a food stamp you were not getting it and at that time, uh, basically because Solidarity has started uh, its movement and they were trying to impose even more oppression and make it more difficult for people to live day by day. Um, so the only things that were on the shelves were salt and vinegar. Okay. so you And the shelves were empty. So for us, when we were living in a village, we obviously had access to other food, but um, the people who were living in a city, that became a real struggle. And, uh, you know, like even when I was going to school, I, I've never had bread with margarine, but my friends in the city would bring that for lunch. So one time I said to my mother, I, I, I want to try this. So I put the margarine on the bread, and I, it was the most disgusting thing that I, that I ever tasted. And this is where I really realized how poor the kids in the city were, from some families, obviously. Uh, obviously, I went to school with kids who were, uh, whose parents were in the army or police, and they were bringing sandwiches with ham and butter, but... Uh, then you also saw the poor kids from the city. Um, so basically, they essentially were trying to limit access to food to basically oppress yes. so that you would ultimately break and then say, pledge your allegiance. Bas yeah, basically stop the movement because now what you need to fight for is for, is for, for your food, for your, uh, for your existence, right? 
uh, however, they definitely made sure that there was enough alcohol so okay. men had the ability to get drunk. And by the time they came back from work, they were already drunk and wouldn't care too much about what's going on. So there was that section of society where um, alcoholism was prominent and it was uh, encouraged. And you had booze stores next to the factory so people can go at lunch and start drinking. And on the way from work, they'll add more to it. And when they got home, they were useless. Right. Um, so, so you also see that, when, and you see the struggle of the mother trying to feed the kids in that condition, right? She is not going to go on the street to fight for freedom. Right. When she's trying to when just she's, provide. She's trying to feed the kids somehow. So, so as you get older, those things are really becoming obvious and, uh, when the solidarity movement started, I obviously joined because there was that inner struggle already. So, okay, you joined the solidarity movement. Okay, I need to know, like, how did that come about? Like, what, like somebody just came up to you one day and be like, "Yo, you want to join the no, well, like?" Or was it like people you knew that were, you know, friend? Like how? It happened, that it, happened, happen? it happened at work because it was a labor movement, right? So they originally set it up as a union kind of thing, right? So it wasn't like, oh, let's go on the street and fight. No, we just gathered the people who work together, gathered and, and uh, you know, uh, and I was there for a short time and they, they needed to kind of nominate the leader. So it's kind of like an election mm. in a group and you have to put the candidates through and like couple, obviously I must've been outspoken because a couple of people, you know, put my name and I, 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 I rejected it on a, on a basis that I did not work with that group long enough to understand all the needs as workers. What, what do we need? Right. right. You know, so I, I didn't feel like as though I would represent it. But yeah, it got to that point And that's where we, we were gathering after work, having meetings. Um, and um, in, when this kind of started at the beginning, um, my boyfriend then already was in Austria in a refugee camp and he asked me to come and so I decided to go um, trying to get a passport was another hassle because we we were not allowed to carry passport whenever you were going somewhere you had to get permission then they would give you passport and then you have to return the passport back interesting because that was one of the questions I wanted to ask is like you know, were you free to go? Could you move around? And like, what was it like? What was it like to leave? Or was it like sneaking out essentially? Like, were you were you were you literally like paying some underground person to get you like a passport so that you could move? Like, what what was well, that? I'm sure some of that was happening, but I I didn't the way um, because I. Again, we knew that there was a black book. Certain people name were there and those people were never going to leave Poland. Okay. They will never get a passport. So because I was uh, only 20, um, 
you know, I, I went and applied for the passport. So you kind of have to wait for... Like, what did you, like, what were you, how did you apply? Like, what did you say to them when oh, you applied? Like, what, like, what, what? I said, I said I was going on vacation for two weeks. To Austria? To Vienna. Okay. Yeah. And it was interesting time. I didn't realize it until I got to refugee camp. That at that point, there was this kind of rush to give out passports to people who wanted to leave in a sense that there were lots of people that needed to leave in case there is a change. And obviously, I didn't realize this until I was in a refugee camp. So so there was, you know, they, they, they kind of were just giving out passports, not really knowing what they were doing, I think. there was Okay, but the Russians were in charge of the passporting. No, Russians were not in charge of the passports at that time. Well, it was, well, we never knew. Like, my father, when he was in the army, the, the commanding officer was Russian. Everybody under him was Polish. Mm-hmm. So... There, there were certain areas where the Russians and obviously our politicians, uh, they were chosen by Kremlin, right? They okay, were not, right, they, right, they, right. Yeah, it was not, it was not, you know, uh, and they were given directives and same. That's how the police and army and everything was working. It was not um, uh, really happening from within the country so much of it and but that was such a small thing that I don't think anybody realized what was going on so anyways I I, I we waited for like um, me and my father we were switching because it took us 24 hours to apply for the passport the lineup was so long um, to get the passport when it was ready was easier I think I waited a few hours and I got the passport and um, basically, you were not allowed to take any money out. You were only allowed to take $20. $20. On vacation? Yeah, $20. Who tra- uh, you know, okay, given we're talking 1980, but still $20 is going to get you what? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it would, it would get you uh, maybe food for two, three days in the right. country, but the sleeping on the street, I don't know. Uh, so, uh, because I was going and... Okay, but you knew you were going and you weren't coming back. So, yes. what, how did you, like, how were you preparing for this? What were your parents thinking about this? Like, what was that like? Well, um, the... I knew I, I wouldn't be able to take any documents, so we had to come up with an idea how I can take my um, diploma with me. Because, you know, like if you don't have any, and also my um, birth certificate. Because if you're going on vacation, those are not documents that you take, right? Yeah, yeah. And I knew I needed to take those with me. So uh, my aunt came up with an idea that uh, we. Uh, made a loaf of bread and the documents were in the loaf of bread like I'm going on vacation I'm going on a train I need some bread right yeah so so that's how I took it out wow uh, I can't even imagine thinking like I'm gonna just I'm gonna bake bread around my documents (laughs) yeah 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 okay so so you thought about the documents part. Obviously, like, you can't take this big suitcase full of, like, no. stuff, no. right? You, you got, like, basic clothes. And, For like, the summer. Because, yeah. Because how can I, why am I taking a coat 
for right. winter if I'm going in May, right? So it was just basically things that you would take for two weeks. Um, you know, they came uh, on the border, the Polish border when I was leaving. Uh, they came through and they were checking people. Uh, they never checked me. Um, I, I guess I was young and I don't know didn't look like much or I don't know whatever. You, didn't, you didn't look like you were going to be imposing some yeah. you know some movement against the Russians yeah. right yeah yeah, yeah. And, and I think there was some disorganization because the the, the, the focus was more how we gonna deal with this movement as opposed like how we gonna keep people in the country right so um, so that was a really that was like so extremely charged and stressful and of course it's not like from Poland I'm go going through to Vienna without crossing another communist country which was the Czech, Czechoslovakia at that point and so of course their army comes on a train and they start screaming at people and checking people and with guns and that was like the, the most terrifying thing, right? So I lived, they, they didn't bother me. They bothered a couple of people that were in the same cart, yeah, same yeah. cart as I. Um, I guess because they maybe made a couple of trips, so they were, con I don't know, concerned about, you know, why are you going again? And uh, so I got through that. Um, I don't. That must have taken like ten hours. That was like, and of course, when you when you when you're going somewhere and you're going, okay, what if nobody is there waiting for me? Yeah. Uh, what am I gonna do? I don't speak. Okay, I spoke with little, very little German, and uh, I have no address. I have. I don't know where I'm going. Right. So, but the uh, um, interesting thing was the minute. I, I kind of just went in a hallway. I left the people in the cabin. I was just standing outside and and watching everything pass by. And and then I see that we approaching the Austrian border. So I'm again. I'm going. Okay, there'll be army with guns. No, there was nobody. There was. It was like I couldn't believe after all this heightened stress that there was like. This is not what's happening in this country, right? So, um, so I kind of relaxed a little bit, and of course, you know, I my boyfriend was waiting for me, and and um, I ended up in a refugee camp. That that's where everybody was ending up is in a refugee camp because what 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 did that look like? What did it feel like arriving there? Like well, again, it was very scary because they will not just admit you to a refugee camp. You have to go through the interview process because they also watching for spies or things like that. So they take your fingerprints and check it against the Interpol records and all of that. So for most people, you were put in a um, isolation kind of for two weeks, but because um, my boyfriend knew somebody that was working there and because I was a woman, well, women usually didn't stay for two weeks. They kept them for a week. So they let me in. They put me up in the isolation for a few hours and then they, uh, 
uh, was kind of like a quarantine kind of like if we put it in current terms yeah you, you, you go to the section and you can't get out right and um, and so then then I entered the the refugee camp which was just outside Vienna and um, you know it's like a huge gym area with bunk beds double bunk beds and and that's where you sleep so it was like a gymnasium really yeah, like gymnasium. just a big building with like well there were separate buildings because oh, okay. what what he was he was old army barracks where okay they stationed the army and they converted it to a refugee camp so took took two or three weeks there and then we were able to get like a separate tiny room in a in a kind of a like a building with different rooms and a couple bathrooms and that's it right how long did you spend in the refugee camp no it was a long time eight months um, because you again you're going through many interviews there you have to talk to the Austrian police uh, they, they check you whether you qualify for the refugee status in in Austria and at that point Austria wasn't ex accepting Poles unless you were you know really running from jail well yeah I had some struggles but I wasn't running from jail right right so I, I, I wouldn't be allowed um, and um, so we applied for Canada but again Canadian system at that point required you to have criminal records from Vienna like from Austria I had to go to the police make sure give them record that I haven't committed any crimes there uh, we had to go to a doctor and have medical we had to have x-rays um, and then at that point this there was a, a Christian organization of Caritas that was paying for the tickets because don't forget I left with 20 bucks okay I left with a little bit more but I had it hidden with the documents in the bread not much more maybe 200 or 300 I had and um, so then you until all these processes happened uh, and then they because it, we were government sponsored to come to Canada um, again that had to go through all the levels of government here it took eight months and it was a long time um, but uh, but they forever. were feed, like what they were feeding yeah, like how we, like, well, did you have to work to get the food like no, how no, did no so so the only thing we were we were not allowed to work outside the uh, um, camp um, some people obviously did um, we were allowed to work for two months within the camp to to earn a little bit of money uh, but it was not like you can work two months then take a break and work two months like they were trying to spread it a little bit amongst people so it wasn't a lot of uh, time but um, prior to that uh, somebody approached me and said they were moving they're making a movie and they need stunt people so would I go I go and it was paying a lot of money so I went 
you know, spent a couple of days, uh, you know, they, they provided transportation and food for us and they paid us. So it was great. I made more in those two days than I made in two months uh, working because then I went and I worked in the kitchen. So we had like a big cafeteria where you get breakfast, lunch and dinner. Sometimes, you know, with the European system where the biggest meal is your lunch, sometimes on, on the weekends we would not get like a cooked meal for dinner. You just get like kind of sardines or maybe something that, you know, some cheese or something that you can, you know, it were given to you at lunch, so you had something to eat in the evening, and and um, so forever, forever, ever, ever grateful to Austria for providing a space like that for people, and obviously United Nations paid for it. Um, so yeah, very soft spot for Austria, you know. Yeah, it's a very tiny country, and yet it took on many refugees—not only Polish, obviously, but but many refugees from all over the world uh, that were there. And and um... so, I'm curious about like what influenced your decision to leave. Okay, well, obviously, it's a struggle. Because on one hand, you're leaving your family. Okay, you're following a boyfriend. Okay. Yeah. You don't know what that's like, what's going to happen with that, right? Uh, but also, the other part was, it, it was that, that <sighs> soreness of heart living in that country where, where you could never be what you want to be without either selling your soul or your body you know right or god knows what like obviously um there there are many cases and this is not the the forum for it where you know you walk on the street you say something wrong to the policeman because he's trying to pick you up and then you end up in jail and you might not come out right yeah so as you become older you become aware of all these things and you you, you become aware of the dangers yeah to yeah, yeah. You, basically, you're seeing that there's really no future for you unless you give in to the system that, you know, appears yeah. to be corrupted. And there was really no, you know, like I'm moving up due to merit of my hard work or whatever. It was just no, like, no. if I had the money, if I knew the right people, yeah. um, the system was just not set up and, for and, you. And to even own money, like it was almost impossible. Like you live day by, from day to day. There was no way you could... Um, you, you couldn't own private businesses, uh, even us having a farm was a big deal because they allowed only tiny farms to exist. All the bigger farms were taken from people and put in a communal farm run by the government. Right. Know? And so it was not, there, there was just nothing that I, I, I could see of me doing, however, you know, when I got to um, Austria in May, and uh, uh, when was it in September or December? Martial law, the December, I think, was martial law that was declared. And uh, yeah, I should know this, but it, and that that became a, another struggle, uh, moral struggle, because you're going while well, all these people are. You know, they they there. My family, everybody is there, going through this hardship, and here I am safe, right? Like maybe I should go back. Like 
so it, a lot of you know as a young person you're trying to find your way in the world and in those circumstances it became um, very hard to deal with making decisions because it just yeah we, you, I mean there's just so many un, un, unknowns yeah so when you guys finally got the papers and everything to leave um, did they fly you over were you on a boat like how did you get from Europe to Canada no, they, they, they flew us to Amsterdam and then from Amsterdam to Montreal and then obviously, as you know, we ended up in Winnipeg, so from Montreal we flew to Winnipeg and that was really interesting experience, landing in the middle of February in, in freezing Winnipeg. Um, not having really much clothes <laughs> with one suitcase each and uh, uh, yeah, but you know, at that time the government was really helpful. In a sense, we got like a kind of welfare money, and we were get, we we had to go to English as a second language school, uh, which took like five days a week. You had to go, um, and whatever welfare money we were getting was enough to um, feed you and pay for the apartment because we had to pay for living somewhere right like yeah and obviously uh, you know it's it's it, it's a, it's a little bit disproportionate to what um, some of the conditions are right now but um yeah when you when you have nothing you're so grateful for anything that you get so that must have been like how did you manage the fear of the unknown right like how did you manage to build up the courage to leave? How did you, like, how were you keeping yourself together, leaving a country, moving to a new country where you don't even really know the language? Like, how, how were you keeping yourself together? I, I think um, at that time, my living today was my main focus. I did not look too much in the future because if I looked at the possibilities in the future, I think that would just only scare me, right? Because it's unknown. Like I, I couldn't even imagine what the future would be like. So it was just about day by day. So here I am, it's refugee camp, I get these three meals, I'm waiting to go. Okay, I get on a plane, I'm getting somewhere. Then. I'm getting to that somewhere. There were there was Polish um, church that um, or kind of welcome because uh, obviously not too many people were going to uh, Winnipeg, so it wasn't like cr huge crowds. So they kind of had somebody at the airport to pick us up and take us to a motel. Because where where are you going? I don't have apartment and then through that they arranged uh, like a, a, a like a one bedroom apartment and you know did all the uh, we had like kind of one lady that was our sponsor so she did all the documents and set, settled us and then welfare gave us a bed and a couple of pots and and um, so again there was there was always somebody there showing up when the time seemed to be 
uh, insanely uh, unknown. And um, uh, but I think I, I was actually reflect, uh, reflecting on that. That really, at that time, I live just very present today. Okay, so today I've got food, and today, and I lived like that for a long time. You know, knowing our life history and all of that, because to think of a future, yeah, uh, it was just not. It would have been. Yeah, I imagine anxiety and complete yeah. utter overwhelm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's all you do is just survive day by day, and uh, later on, as you become more comfortable, that's when you sort of start opening and and also you meet people that sometimes guide you and or give you a hint of maybe this, maybe that, and you start looking at those babies and then you continue from there. And I imagine setting up your life, obviously, in a new country, um, you know, really required a lot of hard work, right? Because you had to learn English, you know, you had your diploma with you, but, you know, I imagine... Yeah. Well, I, I, you yeah. know, you, you would have had to have whatever schooling here. And then, of course, you know, us as children came along and, you know, life changes, you know, with all of the with all of the challenges. I guess I'm I'm curious as to. You know, again. How were you trying to hold things together with, you know, going to school, working a job, having kids, you know, it, because at that point you would have been much more relaxed and acclimatized to living in Canada. You know, we're talking, you know, three, five years into being here. Like, how did you keep it together? It, again, it, it goes back to, you know, what do I need to do today? So, you know, I had you and other eight months, you know, a part-time job, right? And when we first came to Canada, we started going to school, but then we found a job cleaning office building. So we would go after school and clean the office for four hours and so that also put me out there with other people right yeah because in order to kind of feel comfortable in a country you have to start somewhere if you're staying at home you will not move anywhere so you know there i was there were obviously people of different nationalities and the only way to communicate was in english so after you know um my school i took a little bit longer um uh to uh kind of um take a different level of English. So I, I was starting to feel a bit more comfortable, yet it was always that fear of speaking at the beginning because I could understand most of it. And as my routine to learn how to understand every day at 10 o'clock, I would watch national, the news, because people speak proper English and it's not rushed. And so I've learned to understand a lot However, speaking was another challenge because it's like, well, what if I say something wrong? What if people don't understand me? But you're basically forcing yourselves. And, you know, a funny moment, I, I go to, to the bank and I'm waiting in line and the lady says, can I help you, mom? And I'm standing there, I'm going, who's she talking to? Like, I'm not her mom, right? 
I didn't really understand what that meant in a in a context of speaking, right? Yeah. So finally, I go, well, there's nobody else. I guess it's me, <laughs> right? So, so you learn all these funny language things that happen, uh, and uh, and yeah, you say a lot of things that you use the wrong words, and in hopes that nobody gets offended. But outside that, it just day by day. That's, yeah. That's there's no other way. It's just day by day. And, and getting yourself out and uh, you know then I decided to go and take grade 9 at night to improve my English I didn't want to take grade 11 because there was Shakespeare and I, I've looked at some of the Shakespeare uh, uh, writings and I'm going there's no way I can understand this English so. never mind like <laughs> the English I'm using right now now you want me to learn Shakespeare even I couldn't understand what was going on you know so uh, I took grade nine, but uh, again, um, it was very, again, I'm very grateful to Canadian uh, system at that time because, um, um, well, I ended up in a group where um, I was um, encouraged to go to college and um, and people helped me to do that and you know of course i went and i got, you have to have you have to pass your grade 12 english and you have to pass your grade 12 math well math obviously was not a problem they gave me grade 13 but english no you have to go for half a day for a semester to get your grade 12 so i was going doing grade 9 at night and grade 12 during the day and then I went to college and um, there's no substitute for hard work no and and it was like I have to study today I kids need to go to bed and then I need to study and that's it that's all you that's all I did is you, you just make it work you just make it work and it's, it's with many people we, we are given different things on our plate and you just have to make it work you, we find ways so and, and you're only going to find that way, you know, when you step into it, right? Like when you step, you know, you can think about things in your head, but when it comes down to it, like when you're in it, you have no choice but to find that solution. Well, exactly, because I could sit on the couch and think, oh, I want to go to college. Well, until you cross the threshold of that, of that door leading to the college, you really don't know what it's required and once you get there it's like okay i want to do this i'm gonna do this you know you you have your cries and the next day you get a mark and go oh okay i can do this and 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 that motivates you right and when there is some kind of a positive feedback about your work and then it keeps you going and and um and you just do it that's amazing um you know these are even details that you know, I never sat down. I mean, I knew obviously you left to go to a refugee camp and you came to Canada in the eighties and, you know, I knew those, but I didn't have those like details of like, what did it feel like? Like how did, how, like logistically, how did you do it? Right. And so I thought to myself, you know, how amazing it would be for my daughter to be able to hear this story as well as myself as like a part of our you know, part of our history. And, and so I, I really appreciate you taking 
time or or um, accepting my encouragement mm -hmm. to do this um, because it, you know it's it's a piece of you know our history and and I I just I'm really grateful to have you know spent the time to learn about it. Well, you're welcome, and uh, you know everybody has a story to tell. And for me, I, I don't like to sit too much in the past. So as it's like living today, okay, and maybe I'm living a little bit more in the future now, but uh, it's, you know, it's not something that I talked a lot. So how could you know? Uh, it's just, you know, you do what you do and same as you did what you did and same as many other people did what they did. And, and that's... And the, how relevant to, you know, our times now you know, going through a global pandemic, you know, we have so many unknowns. We have literally no idea what tomorrow is really going to look like. Um, and so here we are being forced to really be present. Yeah. I mean, you can choose to worry about the future, but, you know, it's, it's energy that, yeah. you know, is going into something that, like, you're trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist yet, right? It's like, let's let's live right now. Let's just solve the problem that we can solve right now. Let's live the best way that we can live right now. And let's see what, how, it, you know, see how all of these things unfold. Yes, definitely. You know, like, this is not, not a time to live in the past. Well, things were different and we could do this. Well, it doesn't matter. Because we, we are the time here. passed. Yeah, yeah, the time has passed and, and, and the future is, uh, as they say, unknown. And uh, so you just deal with today. And, you know, if they say follow the rules, well, within um, the compounds of what is known at this moment, you know, you try to do the best that makes sense to you right makes logic to you uh, yeah. but also respecting that your logic is not necessarily somebody else's logic so me wearing a mask is not so much to protect me it's to make other people comfortable around me or but um yeah it's totally living in a present at this moment as you know i'm planning a, a trip and it's like not planning it i'm just sitting and, and waiting to see day by day and a decision will happen probably within two three days of 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 the date yeah right? so. of whether or not you can go back to your mother country right yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. um all right well thank you so much for coming on the episode and i'm going to take this opportunity to thank our listeners um you know if you're not subscribed you know be sure to subscribe because every week is a new topic a new discussion a new learning um and if you feel that you've enjoyed you know whatever episode you're listening to you know leave us a review um on whatever platform you're listening um you know because you know it helps the algorithms helps us get out there and uh you know, we would we would appreciate any uh, any feedbacks and we say bye for now. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.